Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. I want to speak today about boasting in Jesus. And um, I've had the privilege now, I did a funeral on Friday for a man I didn't know and and then I've got a funeral for a man that I do know and, and has gro- crept into our hearts. And then last week, a friend of mine, 46 years old, passed away from cancer. His three young daughters and a wife who, his wife I've known since I was eight or nine years old. And all these situations and things that we encounter make us think about things. Things that we don't think about every day. Things like, actually, I've got to get some things in order. I've got to make those phone calls. I've got to get those. But actually, maybe a morbid thought, but... I, what do I want people to say at my funeral? And I realize I don't want people to tell how many preachers or how many situations or anything like that. I want them to boast in Jesus. I want my life to be a boast of Jesus. And, but to live that life and to be on a journey of that, I've got to step back and say, well, who is Jesus to my life? Psalm 46, there's this encouragement, and the message puts it this way in verse 10. Step out of the traffic. Take a long, loving look at your great God. Above politics, above everything. When last did you step out of the traffic? Even church sometimes can just be part of the traffic of my life, and it's part of the rhythm and the routine, and I don't really step out of it. No, step out of the traffic. Step out of the noise. Step out and take a wonder and a look at Jesus again. And in the first service this morning, we had a number of men give their lives to Jesus, and one of them was sitting over there, a young man, probably 15 years old, and I had the privilege of inviting people to make a decision for Jesus. And this little hand went up before the eyes were opened, before anything, and tears started to say, Thank you, Jesus, that forever that life would be changed. It's not about a hand up in church. Trust me, it's far more than that. But that decision... That, that grips us and reminds us. I pray he would never forget that moment that Jesus touched his life. I, I remember my wife um, gave her life to Jesus out of uh, a whole bunch of stuff. And I remember watching her month after month, just loving Jesus, loving the story. I'm like, I, I never want to forget the excitement and the wonder and the glory of the first time I encountered his love. We forget too easily sometimes. And I want to take us to scripture this morning. We're going to read a chumpy, chunky, a chumpy, a chumpy of scripture. A chunky section of scripture from Isaiah 52 and 53. I want to say some things about the Bible. The Bible. My normal one's a bit smaller. That's why I'm struggling with this one. I believe the Bible is real. Sitting with my boys this morning, teaching about Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. I believe that story. I believe it happened. I believe Jesus, every nail was real. Every drop of blood, every... Pain, every story, every alley was real. The Bible is anointed to bring life and freedom. We don't need to put it up on billboards. We don't need to put LED lights around it. We don't need to make it the blingest thing so the world can see it because this book is always on fire. It, it is like no other. You, I will not read another book twice. I don't see the point personally. But the Bible, I'll read, I trust for the rest of my life. I'll encounter Jesus time and time again. And every time I read the Bible, I'm not coming over the Word of God. The Word of God is coming upon me, revealing my Father, revealing His love, revealing His grace, revealing His goodness. And when I read this book, I read it like no other. Because it has the potential to change my life like no other. You can read Simon Sinek and all these boys and their encouragements will change certain aspects of your life. But nothing can change the possibilities of your eternity like the Word of God. So as we read the Word of God this morning, 
I'm going to ask, we haven't done it for a while, and I love the Word of God so much, and I want us to come upon it this morning. Can we stand as I read the Word of God? We're going to read from Isaiah 52 and 53, a chunky section of Scripture. I, I want to tell you as well, it's not only believers who believe this section of Scripture, because in 1947, there was the greatest archaeological discovery of the 20th century called the Dead Sea Scrolls. Have you heard of them? where a thousand scrolls were found in, around the Dead Sea area in 11 caves. And one of these scrolls, the biggest one that was found, was, was Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. That when they did the carbon dating of that scroll, it takes it back to about 230 or 250 B.C., meaning this prophecy that you are reading now that is about Jesus was actually penned and written 230 years before Jesus lived. And on that, both believer and unbeliever and scientists agree. The challenge is, what do you do with it? Because in the Torah, you've got Isaiah 53. And most Jewish teachers in synagogues will choose not to read it because of the undeniable link and prophetic promise towards Jesus. So they read Isaiah 52, Isaiah 54. But we get to celebrate it because in the Old Testament, there's nothing more glorious that points to Jesus' the most glorious way than Isaiah 52 and 53. Can we read together? See, my servant will act wisely. Verse 13. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message and who has the arm of the Lord been revealed? To whom? He grew up before him like a tender shoot. And like a root out of dry ground, he has no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God and stricken by man and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. Sorry. And he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray even as we read it today, we read it like no other, as your spirit reveals and guides and shows. Be with us. 
today. Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, this message is hard to believe. <laughs> it's hard to believe. And it says in verse 1 that actually many won't believe. It says, who has believed our message and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? You, you would imagine the arm of the Lord like this big powerful arm that comes and be revealed. But actually many reject it. And many reject it, I believe, mostly because this is the message of the gospel. You can't do it. And every encouraging, motivational speaker in the world says, you can do it. And Nike goes, just do it. And everyone buys their shoes and they think they can run like Usain Bolt and they realize they can't do it. But the gospel says you can't do it. The gospel says the chasm and the distance between you and the Father because of this challenge called sin that you were born with, because of Adam, you didn't even have to do it. You inherited that story. You cannot do it. You need Jesus. And the gospel says you need Jesus. And my favorite quote that I realized this man whose funeral I did on Friday was his favorite quote, and he had a big thing on his wall, is the man in the arena. It's all about, it's not the critic who counts, it's the one who actually gets in the arena, who experienced the exhilaration of the highs and the challenges of the lows, and through blood, sweat, and tears, keeps getting back in the arena, is awesome. The only problem is in the light of eternity, I can keep getting in the arena a million times. I can't change the result. I can't pay my debt. I can't navigate that thing. I can walk a million, can I say older people, just with respect, older people across the street. It's a good thing to do, apparently. Some of you nodding. Mm, hope he's not talking about me. And um, I, I, I can want to express a swear word a thousand times and never say it. Oh, how good I am. I can give all my money to the poor. I can be really nice to every person. The challenge is none of that changes an eternal reality. It does a lot of good in this life, but it doesn't change the reality of eternity and heaven and hell, which, by the way, are real, which, by the way, are in His Word. And we don't like talking about it so much, and we probably need to go a teaching on it, but heaven and hell are real. And when we forget that and we lose the importance and the, the, the implication of the, of the gospel, not just at times like Easter, oh, it's Easter, we need the gospel. Christmas, preach the gospel for those who don't believe, Mark. No, we need the gospel. You and I need the gospel. My marriage needs the gospel. My parenting needs the gospel. Why? Because we struggle with the gospel. I'm sitting with my kids this morning. My wife's reading Daniel and Meshach and Shednek and Abednego. And then it, my nine-year-old starts asking questions. Next minute, it's the guy who Peter cut off his ear and Jesus heals his ears. Like, hmm, so that guy put Jesus on the cross. Well, No. I did. No, no, you did. No, no, you and my sin put Jesus on the cross. And eternity is in the balance because of Jesus. See, Jesus, people reject Jesus because they see baby Jesus. They see Jesus on the cross. They go, how can that guy help me? He can barely help himself. They look at it and they, they look at the picture of the gospel and they say, well, actually, like the rich young ruler, I'm going to have to give up a lot of stuff. So I really love the world and I really love myself. So I can't receive the gospel. And they make decisions. And they, I get that and I understand. And actually, at the end of the day, the gospel is offensive. It will offend my selfishness. It will offend my arrogance. It will offend my, my, some of my life choices that aren't in there. But I, but I look at Jesus, and I think it's amazing the way that he comes to it. You see, when I look at a leader, I'm looking at their life. I'm saying the way they dress, the way they walk. This generation make a judgment on people in the first, is it nine seconds? on posture and dress code. Then maybe there's a man here today, I'm looking, I don't see him, but I met a man the other day, 
and we started talking about the gospel and had this lack of amazing engagement around the gospel. And he said, hey, I'm going to come to church on Sunday. And, um, and then he said to me, what do I wear? Because I'm there with a flat cap and jeans and a t-shirt. He said, well, you can wear this. I lose the flat cap because some people struggle with a cap. Otherwise, I would preach in a flat cap, to be honest. But um, he said, no, surely not. Said, yeah, it's the truth. Because we navigate these things. We've got to help people and call people to those stories. But we don't come with any grand interest. Jesus came and everything about a leader says something about everything about Jesus says something about Jesus. And how he came to the earth says so much about Jesus. He didn't come with a fanfare parade. He came on a mission. See, we just had a parade in our city. It was glorious. People taking photos, kids snapping shots, airplanes flying. Helpercrafts getting stuck on the beach. People... Uh, but, but there's no power in a parade. There's power in a mission. I don't think America and England got together and said, guys, did you see that military prowess of South Africa? We need to get together. We need to have a strategy for South Africa and their armed forces because they are to be reckoned with. No, I think that didn't happen because that was just a parade. Nice photos. Kids enjoyed. It was awesome. Great that we got some submarines and all that stuff. But I don't think there's a mission. Jesus comes and it says this about him, about his entrance. He grew up like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. First of all, if I was Jesus, I don't think I would have come as a baby. Wah. I don't think that's how I would have come. I really don't think. I think I would have wanted to make an entrance. I wanted to make a statement. I was at an under-11 rugby match yesterday. Let me boast. I know I'm talking about boasting in Jesus. I'm going to boast my boy. My boy is very small, and he made the under-11A rugby team, which means he's about a foot and a half shorter than everyone else on the team, but he's there with the scrum cap on. And it was a big moment for him. And when you make that team, it's a little different league. Now people are watching. Now they're lining up, and I can just see his eyes are like this under a scrum cap. That's too big for him. He's like, and the first team guys are standing here with their fancy caps on, and they're clapping, come on, Judah. And he's like, yeah, okay, yeah. And then they start singing the war cry. And they sing it again because they were too early on the first one. So they sing the war cry again. And then they get on their knees and they're hitting the floor like this and shouting. And then they run on the field. And I can just check my boys going, yeah, what's going on here? And he runs into the field and then he realizes what's going on. When he looks at the big Durbanville boys across the field going, what have I got myself into now? <laughs> that was for an under-11 rugby game. How did Jesus come? He said, I don't, I don't need that. I'm on a mission. And everything about me says something about me. I'm coming to the womb of a woman. I'm going to come so that those who look just like a seed in dry ground can flourish. Because I will come like that. You see, he came with every disadvantage to his name. Number one, he came as a baby. Number two, he came to a paralyzed nation. The Jews had been defeated time and time and time again. And he chose to come through them and into their people. Because they were God's chosen people. And God says, well, I make a promise. I will be faithful. Everything about God says something about him. He says he, he's going to come to a despised people. Who, who, what good can come from Nazareth? What good can come from that area you've come from or that city? Or what good can come from this area? No. Jesus says, I'm going to come from. And I'm going to be identified as a man from. He says uh, he had no formal rabbinic education. Nothing. There were no papers behind his name. There were no years under a rabbi. And yet, he starts becoming known as a rabbi, as a teacher. He, he comes up against it all. 
And he faces all, and then he carries on. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of suffering. Most translations say sorrows and familiar with pain. See, Easter isn't about a king who came with good looks and James Dean skills with being smooth and a crooner's voice and the presence of a mighty king. He says, actually, I'm going to come and, and... And it's not my beauty or magic that's going to attract. It's the fact that I'm coming to lay down my life to die so they can have a way to the Father. We mustn't get confused about the gospel. We don't need to sexy it up. We don't need to make it more than Jesus doesn't need a pronunciation. He is king. He's on a mission. He's on his throne, and he is glorious. And I want to just give four points from this amazing scripture that have stuck out to me as I've navigated funerals and deaths and people and Easter coming. And the fact that I get to share my life, and my life lives, what do I want to boast about? Do I want to get to heaven and go, yes, you should have seen what I did on earth, but then I don't know anyone there. How's it? I remember you. Or do I want to get to heaven and say, flip, I know them. I know them. They were in my kids. They were parents of children in my kids' rugby team, and we got over our own smallnesses and comfort zones to become friends so that I want that. First of all, I carry his nails and I get his healing. What does that mean? Well, Martin Luther said it this way. We all carry in our pockets the nails that crucified Christ. Check your pockets and be reminded. Hang on to the nails. Maybe let me put it this way. Anyone never committed a sin in the room? Like you've never been angry. You've never. You, you, okay, let me ask the wives. Any perfect sinless husbands in the room? Ladies, any or no hands? Amazing, that's good because the gospel says the Bible says the same thing. We all have fallen short, we all have struggled. There's a little girl saying her dad at the back there, I like that. And uh, (laughs) but uh, it's good, but for us, the Bible says, actually, no, it's my sin that put him on the cross. Here's how it looks in verse 5 He was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed. For our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. I get peace. He got punishment. By his wounds, we are healed. It's kind of like this. Judah smashes Daniel on the head with a cricket bat, which obviously would never happen in our house. And I send Ben to his room. Ben, go to your room. Judah's been naughty. Imagine what Ben would... What? Judah was the one who hit him. No, but you're going to get the punishment so that he goes free. It's that simple. Oh, Mark, you don't know what I've done. Uh, No, I don't, but he does. You don't know where I've been. No, no, I don't, but he does. And he knew it then. and And before you even went there, he knew the possibilities and the capabilities and where you would walk. And he said, I'm going to take all of that on a cross. I'm going to carry that all on my back. I'm going to take it upon myself. Every transgression, every iniquity, every time they did something that went against the moral standards and codes that offended the holiness of my king and father above, I'm going to carry that to that cross. Tim Keller put it this way, Jesus did not come with a sword in his hands, he came with nails in his hands. He did not come to bring judgment, he came to bear judgment. He tells us in Mark 2, I came to call, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. And those nails are the same nails that bring healing. And understand that it's, it's glorious. 
But when I own the gospel as my story, I also own the fact that he died for me. And I'm reminded every day I wake up. Secondly, there's suffering in the cross. But because of the cross, he brings victory over suffering. It says this, surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced. He was crushed. The punishment was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Verse 11 says later, the why. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Everyone suffers. Everyone experiences pain. Too many people trying to live their lives a pain-free life, even in the church. We medicate our pains. We, we, we leave countries to escape pain. We, we, we stop engaging people to escape pain and forget things. No, but that, that's not the answer to pain. That's just another plaster that doesn't heal. It says, he bore my pain. He bore my sufferings. He took it on him. It doesn't mean there won't be pain. No, on a Monday, I'll do a funeral, there'll be pain. But he says, he'll bear that. And if you'll trust him and if you'll allow him, because he bore my pain, I get his peace. I get liberty and freedom. I get joy. I get the portion of Jesus that I don't deserve. And we need to be reminded of the gospel. And I sit with a lady and I say, tell me about your brother. I, I, at the funeral I did on Friday, I didn't know the man. Incredible man. I said, tell me about your brother. She begins to tell me all the things he's done and achieved. Amazing. And I say, tell me about your family. She begins to tell me that on his ninth birthday, he, he broke a pencil that his dad had given him. And his dad went into a fit of rage and went into his room and broke everything he had. From the lamp to the cricket bat to every single thing. Just a fit of rage. And although his dad regretted it and tried to glue things back together the next day, she began to weep as she told me a story. Why? Because there's pain there. There's pain that fashioned her brother. There's pain that fashioned her. There's pain that's got so deep down that no plaster and no medication and no situation will ever unearth unless it's the blood of Jesus that touches that pain. Unless it's the chains that rattle in our pockets as we walk and we're reminded that it's only because of Jesus that that pain can come out. And Jesus wants to rip those pains out of our lives. We can't live pain-free lives. There's no such thing. Jesus said it. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have trouble and suffering. But take courage. I've conquered the world. You're going to hurt your legs sometimes. Your marriage is going to have some good days and there might be some bumpy days. Uh, your car will break down. Those things are going to happen. You are part of a fallen world, but actually you have peace. You have victory. You have a knowledge that in eternity, these things will fade away and they'll mean nothing. But there is Jesus on the other side of the story and it's glorious. It says, and he bore our suffering. I want to tell you, we, we get suffering wrong. We think suffering is when our lights go off and Eskom kicks into gear. That, uh, suffering, that's not suffering. Suffering is when the lights are off for eternity outside of the presence of God. That's suffering. And we don't like thinking about eternity. I realize that some people, only when they're processing a death or processing a funeral, it's the first time they're actually thinking about eternity. What next? No, central to the gospel is the reality that there is heaven and hell. Central to the gospel is the reality that we have limited time on earth. And the wisest man who ever walked the earth, named Moses, who wrote one psalm, says in that one psalm, number your days are right. 
says life's probably going to be 70 or 80 years. It's like a watch in the night. He's doing the math. He's saying it's probably more like 15 minutes. 15 minutes. What are you going to do with your 15 minutes? And if we think with that reality, we don't live like we're going to pass away tomorrow, but we live with the urgency of the gospel in our lives. Things change. Point number three, what I love about this scripture, it's so that deformed sinners could become reformed sons. See, we now forget that outside of Jesus, sin deforms. I have a picture, a memory in my mind of a, a young man I was at school with from grade, see, now I've got to think in grades, grade four to grade 11. A friend of mine, a friend I did school with, a very bright young man who aced maths every year. It was like he didn't even try. He got ridiculous marks. And I remember one day encountering him at school and saying, what's going on? Something's wrong. So we just found out my dad had an affair. And his dad pursued that affair, and sin breaks into this family situation and starts to crumble and deform. And a family I used to spend holidays with, I watched deform and deform. Until about two, three years after school, I bumped into this friend. Half his teeth were gone. He looked about 10 years older than he should have. And I said, tell me your story. He says, no, when that went down and sin entered our equation, I went down a road of drugs. And on a binge night... I had an accident, and my best friend was in the passenger seat, and he died in the accident, so I got put under house arrest as a 19-year-old young man. And in two years under house arrest, I became a crack addict. He, he doesn't live anymore. He passed away. But I'll never forget seeing his face because I remembered the bright, smiley, 13-year-old young man full of promise and potential. And sin entered the equation, and I remembered the face of this friend of mine, deformed. And I want to tell you, Jesus reveals himself like this. He says, just in verse 14 of chapter 2, just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, his form marred beyond human likeness. Maybe say to me, Mark, you don't know this era of my life is so deformed. My relationships, my, my thought life, my marriage, my, my, my ability to just navigate life normally. No, that's why Jesus came perfect from the perfection of heaven, and allowed himself to be deformed so that those who are deformed could become formed in Christ. And we get reformed, we get transformed by his blood and his love into something different, something other of this world. And people will stand back and go, how did that happen? How, how did that, how, no, how did that happen? No, it happened by the blood of Jesus and the nails that ring in my pockets. And lastly, and probably the hardest part for me to get about this scripture, about Easter, is verse 10 of chapter 53. It was all the Father's will. It says this, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Every time I preach about the scripture, it gets harder as my boys get bigger. And last night I went through to their room and I took my little boy Daniel's head in my hands. And I put one hand underneath his head while he was sleeping and another hand on top of his head. And I just thought, Lord, I can't put any pressure. And yet it was your will to crush your son. Why? Because there was the only way that you and I could come into relationship with the Father. It was the only way 
that the debt could be paid. And I can't fathom it, and I can't work it out, and I can't get to the other side of it, and I could never do it to my kids. But I don't have to because a father has done it once and for all. For all your defamation, for all your moments of anger, for all your moments of discipline, every time you broke a lie, but promise, every time you let your children down, every time you made promises to God that you broke, there was a father who knew that the only way to the other side was to crush his son. And the pleasure wasn't in the crushing. The pleasure was in the promise that there would be a harvest of righteousness on the other side. There would be available to you and I a love that transforms beyond any other and can touch what nothing else can touch. It was the Father's will. See, I want to boast only in Jesus. Galatians, the apostle puts it this way, but far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. This scripture is calling us to come, to look, and to boast in Jesus. Maybe you're fighting battles right now. I want to tell you, boast in Jesus in the midst of your battles. To see chains shattered, to see Satan disarmed, to see death unstinged, to see hell shut up, to see sin shackled, to see wrath satisfied, to see the law's curse removed, to see all our enemies subdued by our glorious victor and delivered from all our fears. How did he get to the cross? They were my chains. They were my nails. Will there be suffering in this life? They will. And I know some of your stories, and I know there's been suffering and pain, but he says there is victory and there's peace available in Jesus on this side of eternity and then for eternity. Is there deformation in your life and in my life in areas? Yeah. But he said, I die so that those who were deformed could become formed and transformed in his love. And then know that behind it all, there was always a father. Who, in the book of Ephesians, the apostle Paul describes as the glorious father. Maybe if I asked you today, was your father glorious? I'm probably one of the few who would say my father was good. But I'd never use the word glorious. And when the apostle describes the father in heaven... He says, the glorious Father, I pray that you would know and have an ever-increasing revelation and knowledge of the glorious Father. See, Easter calls us to be a part of the gospel. Easter calls us to forget the parade and remember there's a mission, but Easter calls us to find ourselves on our knees again, thanking Jesus for every nail and every drop of blood that was spilt. The gospel is not for just the first moment we encounter Jesus. The gospel is for us every day. Can we close our eyes, please, if that's all right? Even now, I pray, Jesus, where the idea or thought of deformation in lives have been deformed, maybe even thought processes, maybe in physical deformations in this place, Lord, I believe you are more than enough. I believe your blood never fails. I believe your grace abounds in this place. Come, Jesus. And this morning I prayed for 
first-time salvations, but I want to pray for believers here who are saying, I want to see Jesus again. I'm 40 years old. I encounter Jesus and the love of Jesus at a very young age. I'm sad to say there have been times I've taken it for granted. There have been times where I've boasted in other things. But I want to get back to a place where there's only one boast in my life. And that's not a decision of my will. That's just a greater revelation of Jesus. If you want a greater revelation of Jesus in this place, maybe you're so saved, maybe you've walked away, maybe you're just saying, God, I want more. Will you stand with me? I believe that sometimes there's decisions. Will you stand with me as I stand? I want to pray for you this morning and with us. I look at this Easter card, and it's not our design, but I see a cross equals love. I need to be reminded of that every day. And I pray as we stand in this place and as we stand in your presence, Jesus, your blood never fails, God. I pray for those with diagnoses of depression, anxiety, whatever it is. I thank you that your blood never fails and is more than enough. And I ask for healing to come. I pray for those that are suffering in this place. Suffering lack of sleep, suffering pain in the middle of the night or loneliness. I thank you that the word says you bore our suffering. You bore our pain. You are more than enough, Jesus. I pray for deformed relationships be it marriages in this place or be it relations with others that we need to go see made right. I pray, God, that your blood come upon us and that your grace come upon us and that the revelation of what Jesus has made and given us the ministry of reconciliation and let it change everything. And as Easter approaches, Jesus, I pray, Spirit of God, show us Jesus. Show us Jesus, I pray. Yeah, we love you, God. We step out of the traffic one more time just to see you. I don't need to see religion anymore, Jesus. I want you. I want to know you, Father. I want to walk with you, Spirit of God, and be filled by power. We worship you, God. We praise you, King. Amen.